Heidi ho, ladies and gents, and welcome to the Agent Carter radio program by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me each week is one real ace, Pete. What's buzzing, cousin? Let's get started on episode 106, A Sin to Air, brought to you by Howard Stark's Breakup Bracelets. When you need to send Jarvis to do the deed, better send her packing with something nice made of ice. Matt. Pete, that certainly is a lovely gift, but you know what would be a better gift? is more Agent Carter, and Agent Carter executive producer Jose Molina wants everyone to get the word out. Hop on Twitter, hop on your social networks, and share the hashtag RenewAgentCarter. Make sure that you mention at Jose Molina TV. That's Molina with an O. Heck, be sure to mention your pals here at Fantastic Geek as well. But everybody, let's let's get the word out there. You know, sometimes it's us against uh, us against the giant. We can make it happen. Hashtag renew Agent Carter so that after tonight, it's not just two more episodes, Pete. Yes, indeedy. News of the hour! In this segment, we run down the top stories in the episode and give you the latest and the greatest the need to know. Pete, where do we start? Russia, 1944. Four guys tied up in chairs and a woman in leather, Matt. And no, this is not Fifty Shades of the former Soviet Union. <laughs> um, certainly a fun beginning. I mean, obviously, uh, the, uh, the, the Dottie, formerly known as Russian child brainwash torture victim, uh, is there. She's present. And Pete, uh, unlike, uh, unlike Fantastic Geek, it seems that uh, they do some rough recruiting there for Leviathan. If you want out, uh, you get a knife to the throat, and then the other people get told that your family will be killed. But I have wife, I have family, and he was relieved of those bonds. So to have uh, Dr. Ivchenko tell the chief in the present day that monsters are real and everything that was going on with Leviathan, that brings the weight. And it was a nice little nod to Dottie's uh, time behind the Iron Curtain before she had been weaponized and sent over here. Uh, At the same time, I thought it was very deftly handled from a script standpoint by Lindsay Allen here in tonight's episode. Uh, to transition where uh, Peggy is suddenly asking about these women that had been trained and that they'd slipped through, girls coming to America, and then the chief brings her out of the room. We need a word. Uh, of course, the sexist is to think, well, why you got to talk about the girls? but really that Peggy has put two and two together and uh, has now figured out that the woman who killed Agent Krasminski had a smaller gun, et cetera, et cetera, really deftly handled there. We see in this scene the chief uh, continuing the trend from last week's episode where he is judging 
uh, Peggy Carter on her qualities as uh, as an agent and not her uh, her qualities as a woman. Something with which, ironically, he will uh, he will touch on again at the very end of the episode, uh, and we'll get there in due course. From there, uh, Stark's notorious womanizing uh, aside, and the fear that this woman had gotten close to him. And when uh, the vault was built, of course, everything happening there. But uh, Chief figures out that uh, Carter can keep her mouth shut when she tries. And uh, Angie is then in the automat, Matt, on an audition. Or is she? Well, I certainly thought she was. To my ears, that sounded like perhaps it was a scene from Ibsen's Doll's House. Uh, which would add to the layers of, uh, of, of, or perhaps not irony here, but certainly reference, and it's about lady power. Um, also, just side note, Automat with a waitress, still not entirely sure how that's auto, um, <laughs> but she gets done with her little scene there. Um, the, the elderly patron gives her you know, rave reviews, and uh, Angie also gives Peggy the, the new key to her apartment, which uh, I guess will allow Peggy to go back later in the episode. I don't know if she has to, like, super fast. Well, this automat's a little manual, but uh, we we see it kick into uh, overdrive later in the episode. Uh, Jarvis, back-to-back with Peggy in the booths there, back on the team, explains that the chief had visited him, that uh, told him all about how Stark had come back from Russia in 1944 and quickly started making his vault. He was spooked. Meanwhile, Matt Dottie heads across the street from the SSR headquarters, also the uh, the telephone uh, company, and uh, she's headed to the dentist, Matt, but not because she's got a cavity. Indeed, and I thought that it was a very well-presented scene visually where the show really kind of handles all the angles nicely, especially given that so much in those exterior shots surely is computer-generated and effects-driven and whatnot. But for her to come up out of the subway, you know, she's looking across the street. There's New York Bell. She's now heading the opposite way into another building. Um, Presumably, there's a dentist. Uh, He's interviewing himself, uh, a lady worker of some sort and uh, as soon as he says uh words the effect of you know oh i sent the rest of the staff home i really like to spend time with the women i interview um i think that it, <laughs> it, it is a, a situation yet again as happens with uh, with agent carter uh and no criticism here it seems just to be a stylistic choice but again this situation where we're kind of one step ahead of the game here and can probably expect at this point the dentist is not going to be a recurring character on the show no uh susa has headed to the lockup there there was a uh a tough arrested in the earlier episode uh where peggy was in uh spider raymond's club and has her look at the photo there to make the corroborating ID, not who he thought she was, of course. And that was a fun bit of business there. Uh, it is, of course, Sheldon. And, uh, you know, Sousa says, I'm here to investigate the lady that done beat you up. And Sheldon's like, can we not say that too loudly? <laughs> um, of course, he IDs her in two seconds. And... Um, 
you know, as you said, uh, recognizing her from uh, Spider, what's his name? Spider Raymond. Spider Raymond might be talking about a different spider uh, a little bit later on. But with that, Pete, Sheldon has ID'd her, and I believe we have an act end. Yes. Uh, our proper act one uh, features the uh, Stark special bracelet there. And then uh, back to the dentist where he suddenly decides in the interview to get a little handsy. Wait, wait, wait. I, I think you're glossing over the Stark special here. Let's not forget it's for women who have kept stuffing time with Mr. Stark. And this is the traditional breakup. Uh, um, you know, kind of, you're a parting gift. Thanks for having played Stark's special play friend. Yeah. Um, really, kind of, really kind of funny bit. Great casting with the, the, the jewelry store salesman. It's like, oh, any friend of Mr. Stark's is a friend of mine. Howard um, was given horseshoe pins out long before Tony Soprano. <laughs> wow pete somebody should do some sort of time travel fanfic where tony soprano meets howard stark but anyway i believe we're back to the dentist's office hey nobody's ever had a bad time at the dentist's office no or a sexist interview where there are some other expectations um but when uh it ends with dotty and a drill that she's never had an opportunity to use before at least it ended uh the way she wanted it to go <laughs> yes indeed she smashes the creamed corn out of his melon and then drills some more um kind of a fun scene i mean i know we're supposed to root against her but it's to the credit of the show that we have uh an impressive female villain and um she does quite a number on uh, dr flirty mcgee well after her encounter at the dentist it had me asking is this real life <laughs> uh, for him it was real death Yes. Um, Jarvis and Peggy are trying to track down all of Howard's paramours. Um, Jarvis explains that these have all ended by proxy and that these women could kill him. We're then treated, and I use treated intentionally, to a montage of women (laughs) um, really patched and edited together well. Uh, including the one that kicks <laughs> um, Jarvis was uh, was good. Uh, good little sequence. Before um, we get back to the chief with Dr. Evenchko and uh, the idea here that the wife's photo frame is down and really kind of cracked and hinting at, you know, his further effectiveness throughout the episode the chief pretty quickly who's several times referenced this wife as an excuse the wife loretta pete this is really such a well-crafted scene in that we in no way you know we as the audience in no way suspect that anything is afoot as the scene starts um sure there's the notion that uh, Dottie is out there somewhere and the tension of that starts to starts to bleed in as we see her putting together the maybe not putting together the sniper rifle but getting ready to take the presumed shot um and the way Ivchenko is talking with the chief it really is so um helpful and kind of so passive in the beginning sympathetic too oh absolutely um it really i mean this is a scene uh, with the obvious transformation but it's it's introduced so subtly yeah, and you really do feel that, you know, she's going to take a shot at the witness. 
And then you're like, okay, she's going to take a shot at the chief because obviously <clears throat> Dr. Evchenko is helping her out. And to have the the tapping, the Morse code there to, to have her write it out, you know, here that uh, <clears throat> need more time to get item new directive kill Peggy Carter. I I loved that whole communication between the two of them because, um, th- you know, to kind of, well, to dig into some of the, the James Bond verbiage here, they did it without a ton of gadgets. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't some sort of complex, I don't know, it wasn't the wireless typewriter thing. It was her knowing that if she turns the, uh, the, the, the scope a little bit, it'll get the flash that she's looking for so she can communicate that way. And him just doing... The taps for dots and kind of kind of pulling his finger for the for the dashes of Morse code. It, it was it was basic. It was effective, and it was it was a home run. Act two begins with Peggy and Jarvis still on the X trail, and Jarvis runs into a young gentleman. Matt, was this maybe Howard Stark's first progeny? I think anything is possible. Absolutely, anything is possible. Um, but of course, of course, after the kid gets a nickel and silently slinks away, um, we see future mafioso, future mafioso. (laughs) Indeed. Um, wait, wait, is that Tony Soprano who will later pick up the stark mantle of giving a gift to an ex Matt? Did we just connect agent Carter and the Sopranos? I think I just did. So this kid is the uh, oh blast! What's his name from Saint Elsewhere? The Tommy is this the Tommy Westfall for the Marvel Cinematic uh, Universe and Sopranos Universe interconnection? We'll see. Well, Pete, speaking, I just want to throw out another theory here. Maybe um, he's a little old to be a particular Marvel character himself, but given that this appears to be rather a rather portly child, perhaps he's the father of wilson fisk you never know what we do know pete is that peggy is inside the presumed miss m keys place uh, i was wondering pete m key mickey mickey mouse yeah, yeah. going to america watching the disney <laughs> movies in russia it's all corporate yeah. connected um yeah, scratches on the bedpost <laughs> which if i have a quibble of this episode it's that once again and look i know peggy is super bright i know that she is wasted in her current position in the office but she kind of comes out and it's like yep this was the russian woman because i saw the handcuff scratches on the thing and that's we know that they used to wear them so she probably still needs to wear them so therefore this is it and we've come to the place yes it's like (laughs) whoa it's like last week we're like Look, it's a film footage thing. Let's slow it down because, look, then it's uh, subliminal, you know, you must kill or hurt America or whatever it is. And I have figured it out. Subliminal messages. Go. It's just like, can we just have like maybe 30 seconds of her? Like, whatever. Like, it wasn't even like it was edited quickly. It was just her fast delivery information received on to the next adventure. Well, fair is fair. Earlier in the episode when she intoned the word entertained when she was talking about Stark's dalliances, you know, that was the stuff we really come to expect from Haley Atwell. So you can understand relaying a plot point that you can't really, shall we say flourish with. Mm. 
So that I get. Um, <clears throat> we get back to the chief and the doctor. And uh, Dooley is explaining that a 4F plumber with flat feet stole his wife. And then, Matt, quickly we come to realize that as he is pressing for details on Chief Dooley's failed marriage, he is twisting a wedding band and he is brainwashing him. Yes, that's kind of the full the full switch there where it's now 100% clear that uh, if Chenko is questioning the chief and not vice versa, complete with that kind of that kind of sound effect of the the finger on the glass, which I thought was a really uh, inspired bit of sound design. Yeah, um, focus, Matt. Focus. Absolutely. But next is Yauch. <laughs> but Susa interrupts, and things uh, don't go as planned. There, he explains he's cracked the case on Carter. We cut to the automat, and suddenly it's procedure 791. And Carter, mostly Carter, and Jarvis proceed to kick the crap <laughs> out of these feds from D.C. <laughs> Political commentary implied but not explored. Um, however, Pete, the agents from the greatest city in the world, New York City, they're the ones that at least nominally stop her, uh, yes. or at least slow her down, because out she goes into the alley, and it's Thompson with a gun. Exactly. Um, memo Who to the guys gets... from D.C., you should have pulled the gun a little bit sooner. <laughs> yes, and he explains that the idiots from D.C. Uh, needed more, and they didn't go with more guys. Um, he also explains that the witness has placed um, Peggy in the club with... Uh, Spider Raymond, uh, that she should turn herself in. And remember, Thompson has bonded with Peggy now in the wake of his secret from Okinawa. She says, I'm so sorry, Jack, and then knocks him out. Um, she tells Jarvis she's heading to the Dublin house. She's got to retrieve uh, Steve's blood, which was in the Griffith house. So that didn't quite make sense. That little piece, it might've been where she was going to meet up with him. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what it was. I'll yeah. meet you at the Dublin house. Yes. Where are you going? I'm going to the Griffith hotel to get her Steve's blood. <laughs> Steve's blood. Susa then, uh, calls out and anytime she gets called Margaret, we know it's serious, uh, that Margaret Carter, you're under arrest and she knows He's not going to shoot her. Um, tells her not to run. If you do, I'll know it's true. And she just runs away with, sorry, Daniel. I'm not sure how I feel about that line. Like, you know, if you run, I know you're you're guilty. Well, of course she's going to run. I don't know. There was just a slight, to me, there was just a slight rough edge there. We're like, I'm not getting the authorial style here as to why they would uh, why they would be doing that. Act three begins back at the SSR headquarters, and uh, Thompson and Sousa are explaining to the chief that <clears throat> Carter has wiggled away. You mean to tell me one woman took out the whole team? Gives the whole fugitive speech there. And anybody who doesn't catch her will be demoted to grade school hall monitor. Oh, man. Um, with that, of course, Dr. Ivchenko is now going to be set aside in the conference room since yes. uh, things are slowly going all to going all to pot here. 
Um, it's with more Agent of Agent Yow. Yuck. Yuck. You know, you're new to the SSR, buddy? Uh, no, they just trust me with the star witnesses. So we know how this is ultimately going to go. Although I don't think any of us thought that uh, Agent Yawk would later step in front of a uh, (laughs) (laughs) 16-wheeler. A delivery truck with a purpose. Yeah, right? Um, Thompson and Sousa are uh, in pursuit. Uh, Thompson, of course, tells Sousa to crutch faster. Um, (laughs) And then uh, Yawk's middle child status comes up. And uh, Dr. Ibchenko tells him simply to focus here. So the brainwashing has begun in earnest. Back at the Griffith, uh, Ms. Fry is helping the agents, although she doesn't seem to want to allow them, of course, above the first floor. It's a safety issue. She wants their badge numbers. Peggy is retrieving the orb filled with uh, the vial of Steve's blood. Agents break in. Oh, my wall. Those girls from the telephone company, they're all the same. <laughs> they all keep things hidden in the wall. Yeah, that that's uh, quite scary. Um, Peggy, of course, is out the window ledge. This was a slightly curious act in that it was four quick little scenes and uh kind of you know back to commercial break again um i don't know it was just kind of like you know uh, the office and susan thompson and the office and the griffith um again like i'm not aware of other shows having it's not a pacing problem that agent carter has but there's there's a unique pace to this hour of television um that just seems notable and not always for the most obvious reasons well listen i mean the the past couple nights we had the return of uh the second half of the fifth season of walking dead and was very oddly paced for an hour long and then we had the series premiere and follow-up second episode of better call saul also on amc and also strangely paced segments so matt i dare say this is a trend in hollywood right now yeah i mean i'm not particularly complaining if anything if if you're gonna oh, have no. a sh- if you're gonna have a shorter act because you just had a longer act as ne- necessitated by the story and you know at the end of the day you have to have these commercial breaks because they pay for it you know okay but with that pete we're on to act four and we're on the ledge there although some of it is now gone Indeed, that little uh, that little chip, uh, classic TV code for oh my goodness, she could fall at any time. It's not a green screen shot done two feet above the ground. <laughs> hey, what what are you trying to say here, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they're questioning the agents are questioning uh, Angie Martinelli next door. Um, you know they're with the SSR and she's with the Queens County 4H. It's a scene in which Angie is able to shine and yeah. is even more appreciated with how, um, uh, with, with how apparently uh, in a little bit Angie is exiting from the series. But Angie, kind of you know, being the good pal, kind of talking about how you know they just chat about work stuff and normal things, and then sniff sick, 
Uh, sniff, sniff, not snick, snick. Sorry. <laughs> no Wolverine news to announce, everyone. Um, no Hugh Jackman cameo in next week's episode. But um, sniff, sniff. Oh, it's Peggy's sick grandmother. You know, it's. I just feel so bad. And, you know, she throws in the uh, resting of her head on Thompson's broad yes. chest. Please stop. <laughs> <laughs> what is your grandmother called? Yeah. It's Gam Gam. And and then uh, Miss Fry, of course, uh, eating up this performance. She could no more stop her than she could stop Lawrence Olivier. <laughs> ah, Miss Fry swinging for the fences there. Um, yes, and for the office where they're bringing her. But meanwhile, with Peggy outside, somewhere she'd be more inclined to run into a spider, Matt. <laughs> Indeed. Pete unfortunately peggy carter does not see spider-man out there on the ledge but as i'm sure most of our listeners know just yesterday uh, in what was breaking news uh, almost almost midnight on the east coast um was the news of course that uh, marvel and sony pictures have come to some sort of sharing agreement uh, of the spider-man film rights and we can expect marvel to have spider-man uh, in a Marvel movie ahead of Sony doing kind of a Marvel co-production, but Sony at the head. Um, new Spider-Man movie with a new actor. And um, I, I don't know about you, Pete. I was just smiling all day about this because it's just wonderful, wonderful news that the the most beloved character, I dare say, uh, of Marvel Comics is now coming at least for one movie to uh, to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is good news. I'm a little concerned at how it's going to play out. I, I think it can't turn into a, a shoehorning. Um, we know that eventually this Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to change in terms of the actors and the characters and the incarnations of those characters that will be present. So um, it's a good move, but it's got to be handled with the deft touch that Marvel has really had over, you know, this solid five year period. They've really been cranking things out with greater regularity. Um, you know, that said, it, it, let's let's see it play out. Let's see if, you know, they're going to post credits Avengers Age of Ultron, throw us a nod. Does this happen, you know, sometime at the end of Ant-Man? You know, he will be, by all accounts, Spider-Man in Captain America Civil War, which is really, if there's a story you want him for, it's that one. But the story's going to be done differently in the films as compared to the, um, the comic universe where it was over secret identities. That said, we haven't seen Spider-Man there yet. We don't know his identity. I will say one thing. You got Spider-Man in the fold now. Can we get uh, the J. Jonah Jameson played by Oscar nominee? J.K. Simmons. Yes. I, I knew it was going to be J.K., J. Jonah. Um, <laughs> make that happen, Marvel. You made this happen. Make that happen. Pete, now th this is the first I've heard somebody mention it. I dare say that that's a slam dunk. Um, because it'll help kind of stitch together the two, you know, well, supposedly he was just asked about it and, um, well about the, he was asked for the now defunct amazing Spider-Man three, correct. but same, same principle there. It is tremendously exciting. 
my understanding based on what I have read and Pete, as I noted on Twitter, the the coverage from the major entertainment newspapers and websites and whatnot, each one had a slightly different interpretation or bit of bit of information. But I very much get the idea that this is by and large a gentleman's and gentlewoman's agreement between Marvel Films and Sony Pictures. Um, apparently no money exchanged hands. It's just kind of, I help you, you help me. I kind of like that. Now, whether that's actually the case, I don't know. And I think we're both suspicious, but it's not, (laughs) I'm certainly, if that was the starting point of we'll do one, you do one that is certainly open to, Hey, that worked well. Now let's, now I'll do another one and you do another one. So Pete, as we start to go back again in time to 1946 and Peggy Carter out on that ledge, 2015 is looking pretty good for uh, for comic book movies. Because as we've said so many times before, we don't care what that slate is at the top of a movie or a TV show for that ma- matter. Whether it's DC TV, Marvel TV, Marvel Films, Fox, Sony, make it good. And this is an opportunity to really uh, elevate Spider-Man to to the height that old uh, Webhead should be. We all benefit from good content. Speaking of content, Matt, you know when you're hanging around with a guy who's uh, brainwashing you and you draw the entire layout of uh, the place? that That's not a good thing. Oh, by the way, Pete, that map that you wanted me to get you, I have I have right here. So I'll just send Good. that on over. Yes, please. Please do. Focus, Matt. Focus. Um, you know, lays it out in excruciating detail, wants to know where the exits are. And then you're going to stop and get yourself a bourbon, Matt. And a, then a I good have one bourbon. More th- top shelf. Top shelf. Then I have one more thing for you to do. Splat. <laughs> um... Perhaps it is an obvious choice to show it, to show those events uh, with his uh, monologue kind of, you know, uh, narrating it. But it is an excellent choice nonetheless. It is wonderful. And, um, you know, uh, we feel bad for Agent Agent Yao or Yauch or Yao. Um, but we feel bad for him regardless because he's left saying, which is the sound of nothing because he's dead. Um so, I mean, just an incredibly effective scene and one where I'm sitting here going, oh, my goodness, this episode is starting to slowly wrap up. We only have two after this. I feel like we are at the one quarter mark, but we have a mere 90 minutes of commercial free um, viewing and you know, a mere two hours with commercials. And then that may well be it. Don't forget what Jose Molina says. Hashtag renew Agent Carter. Get on it. But Dottie's in the hallway, Matt. And runs up to Peggy, and then I think to everyone's surprise, kisses her. Yes, and it took it took a few seconds for me to go, uh, uh, oh, oh, this is a story point because she stole the Sweet Dreams 102 lipstick in the yes. last episode, and um, before that, yeah, I'm just scandalous behavior to see two women acting this way it's 1946 what's going on with these funny funny duddy folks in the griffith house of all places matt but um get get married and move out before you get to that nonsense yeah but seriously more of that (laughs) peggy gets woozy and uh not before she can look at Dottie's wrists and see the scars um and 
then uh, she passes out and uh, Dottie cranks out her switchblade and act. Pete, act five, we return and Dottie drops the ball. Dottie drops the ball because there she is about to have her moment. And uh, who turns around? But the SSR guys come unknowingly rescuing Peggy from Dottie and um, leading to, you know, the shocking news that Agent Carter does not die in 1946 and may continue into perhaps the 1960s or the 1970s in archival footage or even the 2010s. Yeah, but she must have fainted, Dottie explained. She found her like this. They cuff her. Uh, Susa asks whether that's necessary. And, of course, Thompson insists. They put her in the car, not before she can groggily see Dottie still in the Griffith. They walk her in the SSR, the walk of shame there, the perp walk. And Peggy explains that she can explain to the chief and uh we don't see much of that explanation in fact i thought it was an interesting um shot that we have susa who's now going to be questioning her i think it would have been more um emotionally exciting if it was thompson there thompson who we know can really beat up on someone right but i think we think well, they told her that that's the the final scene we still have uh one more you're referring to uh Sousa saying, let's get started in there. But um, I I think it's the type of thing where after the chief said, uh, you know, don't go easy on her because she's a girl, that uh, everything's on the table she's handcuffed to. Yeah, and I like that it's Sousa who's there because I think we think he's a better um, uh, interrogator. Um, It's just, you know, Thompson's more rough-handed, but it's like, Sue says is going to be the one to really get to the bottom of this. Pete, it is, of course, uh, worth mentioning that intercut or in between, rather, those two scenes of Peggy getting ready to be questioned. Uh, we have Angie entering Dottie's, uh, Dottie's room and Dottie is gone. And um, also the possibility that Angie will be gone. We had we had had earlier in the episode uh, what appeared to be the goodbye between Peggy and Angie. So change in the wind um as we kind of enter the last two episodes here despite Sousa saying let's get started uh, it's very much the feeling of let's get to that final turn and start to conclude what lunkheads deserve some time in the joint this list of baddies will tell us just that pete well, certainly Dottie in 1944 and Dottie in 1946 there, a force to be reckoned with. Um, kind of glad they caught her before she had a chance to do anything, of course, with her switchblade. But uh, she really does not spare any methods, whether it's a drill, a high-powered rifle, a switchblade, or lipstick. Pete, she is an incredibly compelling villain. Um, she's the shark from Jaws, man. She just goes, goes, goes. Um, but unlike Jaws, she's able to to kind of just come off as so sweet. Um, I don't know if that's her natural eye color or contact lenses or whatever. But as an actress, regardless of what color her eyes are, she's just kind of able to kind of widen those eyes. And gee whiz, mister, it looks like she fell here. What's going on? And then... 
be able to turn on a dime. Really, really great, um, great casting there, and um, certainly baddie number one in this episode. I am looking forward to when Peggy and Dottie, now that the conflict is open, um, and Haley Atwell. And Bridget Regan here can really go mano a mano. Pete, shouldn't that be womano a womano? <laughs> uh, Pete, who else is on your uh, list of baddies tonight? That that would be Doctor Ivchenko, played of course by Ralph Brown, and real menacing uh, presence here. This was a guy you've seen in a lot of bigger budget movies. You know, he was in Alien 3. He was in Episode 1 of uh, Star Wars. And chews the scenery and does a wonderful job. You know, we saw much less of him last week. But to get these scenes, which he really relishes with the Chief and with uh, Yawk here. And you get the idea He's not done just yet. He needs to acquire the item. I very much like that the episode ended with it kind of being a question mark as to, to where he is. Um, since he describes to Yawk how to go off himself. And then we see that, which of course is taking place a bit later. There's kind of this, you know, well, what happened to Dr. Ivchenko, which I can only imagine is going to be a plot point for next week. Um Pete, I can only imagine, too, that on your list in um, kind of the battling of bad uh, doctorates here uh, is um, touchy-knee McFlirty Pants, the dentist. <laughs> he did not make my list. Well, I, he's a bad, bad man, Pete. Well, you know, unsavory interview practices aside, I, I don't know, Matt. I can't really come down on uh, on him being a, a terrible, terrible person. It was a different time. He got his, you know, from a comeuppance standpoint. So, uh, yeah, I'm not really throwing him on there. Okay, justice. Classified top secret. Holy mackerel. Time to take a candor with the G-men don't want you to know. And Pete, what are we going to know that they don't want us to know? This item that Dr. Ivchenko is in pursuit of, what is it? Well, I guess that's the, that's, that's the question there, isn't it? Is it going to be a new gadget? Is it going to be a working gadget? Is it going to be a MacGuffin gadget where they say it's the Splodatron Mark 1946? Trademark Fantastic Geek 2015. <laughs> um. With only two episodes left, I mean, we, you know, this this increasingly is a, a time to be thinking about what can the story achieve and what it can't achieve. I mean, we're probably looking at, you know, in terms of there's 10 acts left, we're probably looking at two of those acts are kind of happy wrap up type stuff. Um, so we're down to now eight acts across two episodes for actual, you know, catch the bad guy, confront him, so on and so forth. So I'm going to go with it's just another gadget and that this show has not been particularly gadget driven, as noted with the James Bond reference earlier, but also the Howard Stark stuff. Yes, we had the big gadget in the first episode and there was at least the hint of the the, the Blitzkrieg device, but that was just, you know, a cooler for um, for Captain America's blood. 
side note i hope it does have some kind of power source so it stays cold um but i'm just gonna say it's it's a nothing it would seem not to be the um captain rogers blood given the the we're led to believe this is the red room boarding school that this is the uh black widow training program which was its own russian super soldier program they later had the uh, wolf spider uh program as well at least in the comic universe so it doesn't seem like they need themselves some patriotic blood really wouldn't work behind the iron curtain pete it'll be interesting to see what we get out of this segment classified top secret in the next two episodes just because of that nature of needing to really wrap things up um, and with there being, frankly, an uncertain future for the series, um, I think it is unreasonable to assume that there's going to be some sort of, um, you know, major strings left uh, left floating out there, left hanging out there. Certainly some sort of cliffhanger of, oh, no, it's a bomb, you know, boom, see you next season. No, there's absolutely no guarantee of a, of a next season. Um, although I am hopeful that it'll, you know, it'll end up somewhere, whether it's Netflix or ABC, but, um, I guess time will tell. Long distance. We want you to flap your lips, write a telegram, or even send us a, the Twitter and Pete, have we heard from anyone today? We have, we have a pair of new reviews on iTunes. The first left for us on February 8th by Mama Mark. Mama Mark is headlined Great Stuff, five stars, and it reads Big fan of these two. Listen as much as I can. Been a fan since the Alcatraz podcast. Wow, going Take, deep. Taking us back here. RIP they Alcatraz. Put, they put an effort, and you can really hear it. Thank you, Mark. Very, very nice indeed. The uh, second review was left for us uh, on February 9th by Abe Froman, 21. Uh, thanks, Abe, of uh, Ferris Bueller fame, no doubt. The sausage head- king of Chicago. Yes, headlined Agent Carter podcast, five stars. The PH Geek podcast, I think he meant to write Fantastic Geek. Uh, podcast of Agent Carter is very educational and entertaining for the novice. My better half does not read comics or watches Marvel movies, has began to read comics and understand the history of Agent Carter due to you guys. Thanks. No, Abe, thank you for listening. Indeed, indeed. So nice to hear from a a character from a, a cinematic classic. It is. We love hearing your reviews. You help us and you help others find us when you leave them on iTunes. We are uh, running an incentive until uh, two weeks from tonight, which will be Tuesday, February 24th. And any new reviews left on iTunes for either the Agent Carter or our Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek will be eligible for a uh, Funko Pop vinyl bobblehead of uh, not Howard Stark, Matt, but Howard the Duck. (laughs) 
And Pete, uh, promotions like that are made possible by you, the listener. If you'd like to help us out in that regard or with, just with our uh, bandwidth and storage costs to keep all our podcasts on the internets, uh, you could head over to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. And uh, even a little, as we say, goes a long way. And we have a little uh, incentive there as well that you could check out. But Pete, enough with the jibber-jabber. Let's talk about you, Pete. You are practically a person of glitterati fame, as was quoted to us by a listener in person only uh, only last week. How can people be in touch with you? Well, Matt, 5,132 followers. Can't be wrong. You can find me on the Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the radio program by being in touch with Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with a PH, and there are plenty of ways to do so. Send an electronic letter to us on the Gmail, post a note on the dot com, or tweet your telegraphs to the Twitter. Don't forget, Fantastic Geek is the way to go. And Pete, I went to the library just a couple a couple days ago, you know, the New York City Public Library there on Fifth Avenue with the Lions outside. Asked to see the Fantastic Geek book face. I was a little confused. So can you take me through that there? Well, Matt, on the Facebook, I believe you mean to say. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek. That is with a PH, of course. And just another way to interact with us. Fun, fun, fun. And with that, I'll say... Good luck, good night, goodbye, one and all. And Pete, with what wacky words will you close tonight? I can explain. 